Uh, good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Allen. Glad that you're here. Uh, we're in a series, meaning we take a topic and talk about it for a few weeks. So as it's already said, this is part two. If you missed last week, uh, it's on uh, Facebook as well as our, the audio is on our website. The title of this series is Taking Responsibility for Your Life. And today we're going to talk about the disproportionate life. And we started last week with a question, and we, I think we're going to start every week with this question. Because it's hard to see irresponsibility in the mirror. It's easy to see, for me to see it in you, it's hard to see it in me. So, am I taking responsibility for my life, really? So I want you all to say it with me, emphasizing the word really, okay? Am I taking responsibility for my life, really? All right? That means all aspects of it. If I asked you if you were taking responsibility for your life, everybody's going to say yes. You know, I go to work or, you know, whatever it might go to school, whatever it might be. But are you really taking full responsibility for all aspects of your life? Now, last week we learned a couple principles, if you will. One was this. You were created to be responsible. We talked about Adam and Eve, whether you believe that's a true story or not. Uh, God gave them this instructions to be fruitful and multiply and rule over the earth. Take care of the earth. So that was their job. Take care of the animals, take care of the plants, take care of everything. And how many rules did they have? One rule. Huge responsibility. One rule. We talked about the more responsibility you have, the less rules you have. When kids are small, we have all kinds of rules for them. When they grow up to be adults, you know, we kind of hope they're responsible for themselves, right? So you're created to be responsible. And one way you know that is you are the happiest when you're responsible. So when you go to work, put in a good day's work, and come home, you feel satisfied, you get that paycheck, you feel satisfied, go to school and do well. Uh, in family relationships, uh, we talked about how important it is for guys to tell your, uh, your wife, the mother of your children, how great a mom she is. Because that's such a huge job, and vice versa. And we feel like we're failing so often and so it's, it's easy to get discouraged, so it's really important in saying you're a great husband, you're a great wife, you're a great mom, you're a great dad, whatever. And when we really are, uh, that's, that's when we're the happiest. And when we're blowing it, we're not very happy. I, I've never seen anybody say, oh, I, I'm so happy I'm a lousy dad, or I'm so happy I'm a lousy husband. It just doesn't work that way, right? And then kind of the bottom line last week was this. Your irresponsibility, and we're all irresponsible sometimes, Right? Your and my irresponsibility eventually becomes someone else's responsibility. We don't live in a vacuum. We don't live by ourselves. We live in community. We live in relationships. So uh, I thought of this illustration. I would like to run on the Appalachian Trail. And if I find some trash, an empty bottle, some trash on the trail, I pick it up. Now, it's really rare, actually. Uh, I don't find a lot. And people are really, most people are really responsible. And even when I pick up something, I think the person probably just dropped it by mistake. They weren't being irresponsible. But if they did, their irresponsibility caused me to be responsible to pick up that trash. That's just one sim simple illustration. So uh, we call this all skate, right? We go to the skating rink. Sometimes it's the couple skate and the kids skate. But most of the time it's all skate, right? We did this back in February. Uh, so this is everybody's responsibility. It's a community thing. It's a group thing. Now, let me start with kind of a silly illustration, and hopefully it'll make sense here in a minute. <clears throat> You ever want, wonder how those big boats can float? Uh, Mr. Henry, you're an aircraft carrier. To me, it's amazing that that thing can float. In fact, it floats way up high in the water. 
Well, why can that do it? And I have a small pebble and drop it in the water, it doesn't float. That ship weighs way more than that pebble. Why is that true? You maybe never thought of that before. And if you've been to school, they probably taught you this. It's called Archimedes' Principle. All right? So we're going to put it up on the screen. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about it. But it basically is this. If you can displace enough water, more water, the weight of that water you displace is, less than, is more than the weight of the object itself, then it'll float. So if you get a ball or a rock, it'll sink. But if you get a boat, once it sinks down and displaces the water, and water's heavy, right? Displaces the amount of water that's equal to the weight of that, that boat, it floats. Now, people have been doing this for thousands and thousands of years. Archimedes just came along and wrote a mathematical formula for it. This is like 200 and some years before Jesus. So a long time ago, but people were float, using boats before that. So this principle works both ways, right? If you do it the correct way, you can get a heavy boat to float. I don't know about you, some of you can float in water, but I can't. So if I get in water, and if I'm not swimming, I'm sinking, all right? <laughs> like a rock, because I'm displacing uh, the amount of water I'm displacing. I can kind of bob, but, you know, we're mostly water. So you can take advantage of it, the boat, or you can drown if you don't take advantage. It works both ways. So one way of saying this, a principle is not good or bad, is it? Archimedes' principle isn't good. It's not bad. You can take advantage of it, disadvantage of it. It just is. It's a principle. <laughs> All right? Think about this way. God doesn't decide. He doesn't sit there and look at your boat and say, your boat's going to float, your boat's not going to float. And your boat's not going to float, and your boat's not going to float, but I'm going to let your boat float. God doesn't do that, does he? God established this principle, natural principle, natural law. And every time you and I follow the principle, our boat will float. <laughs> If we don't, we overload it, it's going to sink. God's out of the picture. It's not a God thing, it's not a religious thing. It's just a thing thing, a principle. Archimedes' principle isn't against you. It's not for you. It just is. We would say it's a gift from God. Now, with this principle, you immediately know the results, right? Put the boat in the water, it floats, or if it's too heavy, it sinks. You know right away. Now, we're going to talk about a different principle that works a little bit differently in that you don't know right away. I thought about it this way. I've done a lot of construction in my days, and I've hit my thumb with a hammer a few times. Ever been there, done that? All right, you know immediately what you've done, right? It's all bloody sometimes. Sometimes it's all black and blue, and blood pulls up under the nail and takes about six months. This one's just barely growing out now. Uh, so you know immediately when you hit your thumb. Now, we've all woken up one morning and looked at our arms or our legs, and we found this bruise, right? And we're wondering. My wife does this. She said, what did I do? I said, did you beat me during the night? I said, no. <laughs> no. Uh, sometime, the day before probably, she bumped into something or hit something, and, and she, you don't see the results to it until the next day. So this principle we're going to look at today <clears throat> is one of those that you, you see later, all right? So here's the principle. It's pretty common. Most people know it. People reap what they sow. People reap what they sow. It's in the Bible, in case you didn't know that. <laughs> it's in the Bible. Now, anybody that grows anything knows this. Pretty soon people, or maybe already, people are planting gardens, right? And if you don't plant a garden, there's nothing to, to, to pick later, eat later, right? We don't have a garden. 
So other people share with us, but we can't harvest what we planted because we didn't plant anything. And those of you who do have gardens, you don't ex- plant corn and expect to get tomatoes or vice versa, do you? So you plant tomatoes, you get tomatoes, plant corn, you get corn. You reap what you sow, and you have to sow it if you expect to reap it, right? So this is true in life. This is, again, this is not a religious thing, a spiritual thing, just a thing thing, right? So here is where, where the application comes. So God is not against you. When your life is going in a negative direction, it's not because God decided, oh, you're going to have problems now. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like you today. The cross proves to us that God is not against us, right? So when our life is going in a negative direction, we're reaping something we don't want to reap, it's because we've sown something that we shouldn't have sown. <clears throat> Again, God's not deciding, uh, I just want to mess up your life today. <clears throat> so we're going to look at something a guy by the name of Paul wrote. And uh, he had some negative things he did early in his life, and he suffered the consequences. Then he came this, this church planter. He planted all these churches around the Mediterranean Sea. He wrote, he, he's planted a church in Galatia, and like all churches, churches have problems because they're made up of people that have problems. And so he's writing to them, giving them some instructions about dealing with being responsible and dealing with irresponsibility. Now, we looked at some of this a couple weeks ago, a month or so ago. Uh, we're going to pick it up a little farther down and then go down farther. It's called Galatians, and it's in chapter 6. So if you think you are too important to help someone, in verse 3, in verse 2, he says, bear one another burdens. That means you've got something too big to carry yourself. And so, I come along and help you carry it, all right? That's the, the nice thing to do, right? He says, but then on the other side, don't think you're too important to help someone if you're only fooling yourself. He's going to say that twice. Again, it's hard to see ourselves in the mirror. He says, be careful. Don't fool yourself. You're not that important. You're not any better than anybody else. Nothing special about you. Nothing special about your problems. You've got the same old problems everybody else has or lots of other people have. He says, so don't think you're too important or too special that you can't help somebody else. Jesus Christ, the only perfect person ever lived, <laughs> washed people's feet, okay? So we got a perfect example. So when you see a need, are you helping that person with that need? Again, it's a burden, not, not and we're going to talk about this other thing, this uh, uh, reaping what you sowed thing. So he goes on, says, pay attention, be careful, pay attention to your own work, then you'll get the satisfaction of a job well done. Remember we said <laughs> you're happiest when you're responsible? So when you're doing what you're supposed to do and you're doing it well, you have this happiness, this self-fulfillment, this joy of doing a job well done, whether it's being a parent or whatever it might be. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. And what happens is we compare ourselves up and down. We talked about this before. I compare myself to people that are lower than me to make myself feel better. Now, as long as I'm getting satisfaction in myself, I don't have to do this. But if I'm not doing that, okay, okay you know, they're, they're screwing up their marriage. My, uh, you know, I'm happily married, uh, better, happier than they are, okay? They're screwing up their parenting. I'm doing a better job with parenting. You know, they're screwing up their finance. I'm doing a better job. We compare down. We also compare up. And we see people that lives seem to be much better than ours and, and going much better. And I say, well, if I had their advantages, if I had their parents, if I had their money, if I had their intelligence, if I had their look, you know. Uh, so we compare up and we compare down uh, to make excuse or to feel better about ourselves. 
He says, don't do that. Never need to do that. Not only do you compare what you do and don't do, but you you need to not compare attitudes. We're supposed to pay careful attention to our attitudes and take satisfaction when we do it well. Then we get to verse 5. The translation we used last time used the word load. This translation actually uses the word responsible or responsibility. So it's for each of you should be responsible for their own conduct or their own load or carrying their own load or be responsible for your own conduct. So this means what you do and don't do, your faults. Uh, You and I are responsible for certain things. We are, whether you have a job, school, relationships, uh, finances, whatever it might be, you're responsible. So here's what I, I like us to look, how we should look at this. If I focus on you, I'll make excuses right? for myself. But if I focus on me, I'll make progress. I excuse myself when I compare myself to you. But if I focus on me, I can make progress. You know, I'm not carrying my, fulfilling my responsibility here. I need to do that. So I'll make progress if I do that. Then he throws this verse in. It seems a little strange but it's still on the same topic of responsibilities. He says, those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. And we're not just talking concrete or physical things like finances and so forth. We're talking about spiritually. So even though I might be a teacher pouring into you spiritually, you're responsible for pouring back into me. That's why I love small groups so much. Now, that's what happens in a small group. <laughs> People pour into me spiritually. Um, so then it gets to the verse that we, has this principle that we're talking about. <clears throat> this is verse 7. He said, do not be deceived. Again, the second time. It's easy not to see ourselves as we truly are in the mirror. God cannot be mocked. Let me talk about that for a minute. <clears throat> what does that mean? Well, God can't be made fun of. God can't be tricked. Uh, we've all done this. We've done it to our parents, Right? You trick your, you've done it to your school teacher. The dog ate my homework. The dog really ate your homework? I don't think teachers normally buy We've got some teachers here. You buy that excuse? <laughs> no. All right. Uh, but that's the attempt to get it over. Uh, get something over on your parents. Uh, just cop stops you and says, my speedometer is broken. I mean, the, the list is endless, right? We try and make fools or mock the person in authority over us. And we get away with it sometimes. That's why we do it, right? You know, uh, uh, I didn't have a clock, so I didn't know what time my curfew was. And your parents say, okay, that's, that's okay. But what makes it even worse is sometimes we will bear, uh, what's the word I want? Uh, bail our kids out of their irresponsibility. Well, I, I, I studied, uh, the teacher didn't tell me we were going to have a test. So you go and complain to the teacher. Well, you should have told my kid there was going to be a test. Or they get locked up and you say, that, you know, the policeman shouldn't have arrested for that. And when we do that, are we helping our kids become more responsible? And when we do that personally, are we helping ourselves become more responsible? No. So, God can't be fooled. God can't be tricked. God knows if the dog ate your homework or not, right? He can't be mocked. And we have this kind of, every religious system has, has this built in, where we kind of have a loophole, where we can get things over on God, so to speak. Now, in my tradition, I started going to church as, as a teenager. In my tradition, we have this verse. It's in 1 John. It's near the end of the Bible. It says, if I confess my sins, he's faithful and just, meaning God, to forgive me for my sins, cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Is that true? Absolutely. But then I was taught God forgets it. 
which isn't quite true. Can God forget anything? See, God's not limited by time, so he could kind of rewind time if he wants, right? So, but, you know, I sin all week, and then I pray on Sunday, and it's all wiped out, and I'm good, right? And I go sin the next week. And if you're kind of from a Catholic background, they have a little more concrete way of doing it. You go to the priest in this little confessional, and you tell him, and he tells you what to do, and once you've done what you've done, it's all wiped out. It's like you got to start all over again, right? So it isn't accurate that God forgets. It's accurate that God treats us as, as if he forgets, which is even more amazing, right? God treats you, he loves you unconditionally, even though he remembers all the dumb stuff you and I do. Isn't that amazing? So we all have this, this, this call it a built-in system of trying to mock God. And God, he says, God can't be mocked. And one proof of that is this principle. A man reaps what he sows. <clears throat> so life is connected, right? So what you do did yesterday affects today, and what I do today affects tomorrow, and vice versa, or continues on, not vice versa. So life is connected, and we are connected. So here's the, here's the truth about this principle. Forgiveness doesn't erase this principle. Will God forgive you? Absolutely. He will forgive you. He does forgive you. Does it mean you're not going to suffer the consequences for it? You know, I can just abuse my body all, all for 60 years and then say, okay, God, I'm sorry. I'm going to start taking care of myself now. Does that mean I might not have diabetes at that point or some other me medical ailment? No. Forgiveness doesn't erase the principle. If you've, you know, wasted your finances all, all your life and now you're in retirement age and you have nothing to live in retirement and you pray, God, forgive me for being irresponsible with my finances all my life, does that mean all of a sudden you're going to have plenty of money? No. It, forgiveness doesn't erase the principle. And in reality, that's a good thing. We're going to see that. It's a good thing. You can count on it. So here's the thing about this principle, though, and we kind of hinted at it earlier. <clears throat> you reap later, and here's the thing that gets us, you reap greater. Now, we understand the later, right? Plant, if I plant tomatoes today, I'm not going to pick tomatoes tomorrow. I've got to wait time, right? We understand it in that sense. But that's why we give up on working on our our, our uh, bodies or working on our relationships or working on our finances we, and we give up too soon you know I've been exercising for th you know <laughs> three weeks and haven't lost any weight you know I, I, I've been watching my finances for three months and I'm still in debt well how long did it take you to make the debt you know so you reap later we understand that but that's one reason we give up too soon but then we leave we reap greater. Now, when it's good, it's great, right? I plant one corn seed, I get, a you know, hundreds of corn seed. If it wasn't greater, you wouldn't do it, would you? Why would I plant one corn seed to get one corn seed back? So this is the great, this plus side, the great side of greater. But when we're sowing negative things, it's not. They call that compound interest, right? When you owe somebody something. And it just seems like you can never pay it off. It's compound interest. So we reap greater, later and greater. Now, so consequently, this principle is not fair. It's not even. It's not balanced. And again, we don't want it to be. 
I don't want to plant one corn seed and get one back. So it's not fair. But when something negative happens, we think, oh, I don't deserve this. You know, I've abused my credit cards, but I shouldn't lose my house. Well, (laughs) it's not fair. You know, yeah, I didn't take care of my body for a while, but I didn't deserve to have this, you know, this ailment. Well, it's not fair. Don't expect it to be fair. Let me give you a silly illustration. Somebody tries to break into your house, and they're not successful, so they don't steal anything, and you call the police, and, you know, within 20 minutes they're caught. So you go, to, you go to, to court, and the judge says to you, okay, how long did this whole deal take? Oh, about a half hour. Trying to break in, then we caught him. All right, you are sentenced to a half hour in jail. We're going to make this fair. Half hour crime, half hour jail. And if you're that person with that house, what are you thinking? That's crazy. You want them locked up and thrown away the key. You don't want to come back and robbing you again, do you? You want them to suffer greater consequences. Those who are parents. If your kids steal a dollar, do you say, oh, just pay back that dollar? Is that how you parent? That's not the way we parent. That's my kids. You're going to get way worse consequences for stealing that dollar than just paying back a dollar. The principle's not fair. It's going to be greater. Now, again, this is a gift from God because we can leverage this. We can benefit from this. We can plant something small and get a big harvest. The reason why we don't like it is when we've planted something negative and get a big harvest, a negative harvest. So here's, here's a point that, again, it is, it's good. We might not like it. God is not going to remove the principle. Can God be merciful sometimes and spare us some of the consequences for our dumb things we do? Absolutely. But he's not going to remove the principle. So if you run up all this credit card debt, I guess you could file bankruptcy, but God's not going to take it away. You've abused your body for decades. God's not going to take care of, you know, remove those consequences on your body. Most of you know this. My dad died at 45. He started smoking when he was a kid. Two packs a day. Died from emphysema. If he had stopped smoking at 44, didn't take away the emphysema. He doesn't remove the principle. So then he goes on kind of a, kind of a little religious, kind of a religious talk. I'll kind of explain it simply as I can. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature, that means to do stuff that's selfish and self-centered and, and often wrong, you'll harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. Bad stuff's going to happen to you, okay? You do bad stuff, bad stuff's going to happen. And then he basically says those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Do good things, good things will happen. All right? If I do bad things, my life's going to get worse. If I do good things, my life is going to get better. Again, this is really not a, 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 a God thing. This is just a thing thing, right? Now, we believe it works better with God's help, but it works for everybody. So then he gets to this uh, instruction about not letting it, uh, that later part, do us in. So, so let's not get tired of doing what's good. You ever done good, done good, and good, and good, and then thought, eh, this is not doing, I'm not benefit from this. Other people are goofing off, and they seem to be getting off better. All been there, done that, right? So don't stop doing good. It's just the right time. Of course, God gets to determine what the right time is. You'll reap a harvest of blessing if you don't give up. Just don't give up. The easiest, I think, the easiest way to see this is with, with finances. 
And that's why we teach financial peace. And if you apply the principles of financial peace, no matter how bad your situation is, within amazingly short time, often you can turn your finances around. <laughs> you know, spending less than you make. Taking responsibility for your money. But this is true in any area of your life. You can turn your health around. You can turn your relationships around. If you don't give up, if you keep working at it. You know, well, I've been working on my marriage for five years and it's still lousy. Well, maybe it's going to take six or seven years. Just don't give up. And then one more verse. It says, therefore, so if you're doing this, whenever you have the opportunity, we should do good, good to everyone. And again, not just uh, materially, but also spiritually. Do good to everyone. And of course, especially the family of faith, your brothers and sisters, uh, in relationship with God. So what do we do about all that? What do we do? Well, let me put that pie chart up from last week again. All right, so let's say this pie chart represents some area of your life, and you pick one, that you have chaos. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in your parenting. Maybe it's in your finances. Maybe it's in your health. Uh, maybe it's at work. Maybe it's at school. You pick. <laughs> All right? And then ask yourself, what part of this chaos is my responsibility? Am I at fault? I'm responsible for it. Most of the time, we think it's the little part. <laughs> uh, most of the time, it's, you know, in marriage, it's usually pretty split down the middle. Uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where the split comes, all right? It could be 90% and 10%. It could be 50-50. Once you've decided that, what do you do? You focus on your slice. Figure out what your slice of the pie is and you focus on you. You focus on your responsibility in that chaos. That's the only thing, basically, that's the only thing you can do. So often what we do is focus on the other and it doesn't make anything any better, does it? And then two quick things to do once you've determined that. First thing, quit blaming and excusing. Well, if I'm not looking at that other piece of the pie, then it's nobody to blame, right? I'm, Blame myself, I guess. But don't, then I don't make excuses for myself. This is the decision to make. You can make the decision in, in one minute. I'm going to stop blaming. I'm going to stop excusing. All right? Now, the other part takes time because you have to sow if you're going to reap. And here's the other part. <clears throat> I'm going to begin to do the things I should have been doing all along. Spending less than I make, taking care of my body, Pouring into my spouse, pouring into my kids, pouring into my job, pouring into my work, whatever it might be. Now, we got big age span here. When you're 25, you, you kind of ignore this principle, don't you? You got your whole life ahead of you, you know, you just think it's all going to work out. You know, at, at 25, you can learn this principle, boy, you will be so far ahead. I didn't learn the financial principle until I was about 40. I'm in a good place now. I can imagine how much better I would have been if I had learned these principles when I was 25. But what happens to us when we get to be 45 or 55 or 65, we look back and think, I wish I had heard that. You probably heard it. I wished I would have listened earlier, right? So for those of us that, that waited longer, we're an example to you younger folks, right? Of what not to do. And you got the opportunity to be like us, <laughs> And wait till later to learn this or be smart enough to learn from our mistakes. Develop good habits, all these different areas. 
Leverage this principle. You reap what you sow. It's always right to do what's right. Do what's right. It's tough being patient, waiting for the time. But it's later. But also remember, it's what? Greater. Greater benefits. So let's end with the question we begin with. Am I taking responsibility for my life really? Does God love you? Absolutely. Cross is evidence. Does he forgive you? Every time. And completely. Doesn't forget it. But he treats you as unconditional love. He treats you as if you didn't mess up. And I didn't mess up. Amazing is that. Does it break his heart when he sees you reaping the negative consequences for your negative actions? Absolutely. But he's not going to get rid of this principle. We don't want him to. We don't want boats sinking. What we need to do is change. Make life change. Changing together. Following Jesus, chain together. Make those changes now that affect our later. Your relationships, finances, health, whatever it might be. I always have the privilege of saying I invite you to, to join Jesus in this because with Jesus, all this stuff gets easier. <laughs> it's hard to forgive yourself if you don't understand the, the forgiveness of, of God. It's hard to forgive other people who don't understand the forgiveness of God. But God wants to forgive you. He won't force you. He doesn't force you to build a boat. He doesn't force you. But he loves you enough to provide everything you need to have that relationship with God restored. That relationship with God is restored. It makes it so much easier to restore the other areas of your life. It just does. So as I pray, we'll give you that opportunity to to step across that line. Let's pray. Thank you, God. We thank you for this principle. We don't always like it, but we thank you. It's predictable. And we can uh, know that if we're doing good things, we're doing the good things, we're doing the right things, and good things and right things will happen. And it'll it'll be later, but it'll be bigger and greater. But God, we've all experienced the other side of this too. Yeah, I screwed up financially, but it shouldn't have been this bad. I screwed up this relationship, but it shouldn't be this bad. Screwed up my health, it shouldn't be this bad. Well, this principle is not fair. So we we pray for mercy, and you may give us some. But again, we need to start now doing what we should have been doing all along. Part of that is being a Jesus follower. So we just pray for anyone here that's, that's not in that place yet that you would consider it and even step across that line and say, yeah, I'm trusting Jesus with my life. I'm accepting his forgiveness for my sins. Uh, as this, uh, he'll treat me as if I haven't done, done any of these things amazingly. Uh, we thank you for that gift. We thank you for this gift of reaping and sowing. Uh, God, we just thank you for just being the kind of God you are. Again, that loves us unconditionally. In Jesus' name, amen.